0: Do you feel politically homeless? Lost in the chaos of modern politics? Not sure who to believe?
1: Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Democrats call him a Republican. Republicans call him a socialist. He is Steven Reynolds, the man in the middle. Welcome to the Man in the Middle podcast, Season 3. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host, recording today from the historic WGNS studios, located in the heart of the great volunteer state, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, joining me today is former congressional candidate and general contractor, Mr. Steve Lane. Steve, welcome to the Man in the Middle podcast. Welcome back, Steve. Well, thanks for
0: having me on. I always enjoy coming.
1: Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. It's amazing what a little smoked baloney can do for you, huh? (laughs) That
0: sounds so wrong. I was
1: hoping you wouldn't say that today. Well, we we could cut that part out, but guys, you know, it's... uh, Steve, uh, I know you're a general contractor, and I know you do a lot of building. We're hearing a lot about material shortages out there, especially lumber, but it's not just lumber, Steve. Talk about what it's like to try to build a house right now or or develop build a building right now how's it going out there
0: you know it's interesting I lived through 2008 uh, so I first got my contractor's license in Tennessee in 2006 and so this is my second boom that I've witnessed firsthand and this one's crazy because uh, to give you an example of what prices have done for uh, lumber prices, a four bait sheet of OSB, something called oriented strand board, people used to call it wafer wood. Uh, it's basically like a plywood, right? Plywood, about yeah. A thick. yeah. And it's one of the most common materials used on a job site. You use it for roof decking and wall sheeting and all sorts of stuff. A um, little over a year ago, that was maybe uh, in the high sixes, low sevens. Dollars a sheet. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Last I checked, it was forty-four dollars a sheet. Wow. Um, and and that's the most common. I would fair, you know, other than studs, it's probably the most common material used on a job site. And so, um, and in spite of that, there is uh the new customers are unrelenting. They they are still everybody still wants to build their house. And I'm I'm probably as puzzled by it as anybody. Uh, that the best sort of theory I can come up with is what other people have said is you can borrow money so cheaply right now that people, what do they care if they pay an extra 60,000 for their house, you know, it's a couple more bucks on their monthly house payment. And I think that's just probably as plausible theory as any is why people keep pushing forward with building, even though the costs are skyrocketing.
1: Yeah. That's an, and, and, you know, you and I both know really, that's an artificial, um uh, damper or ceiling that the Fed has has been in place for 10 years. I think I asked you the last time you were on the podcast, how, how long can they continue uh, to suppress interest rates? And now uh, we're starting to get into that inflationary period. Um, so what else, Steve? A copper, steel, can you get uh, air conditioning equipment? What, what else are you seeing out there that's hard to get a hold of besides plywood?
0: Um, so we're coming out of the COVID restrictions now, but so I'm speaking more now to during the COVID restrictions, but al- almost anything factory made, uh, there was, um, we saw, uh, delays. So normally pre-COVID, we could order windows and at the most, maybe take two weeks to get windows. Uh, and, uh, but during COVID, oh, in fact, the house I'm sitting in right now, we had to wait three months. Uh, to get windows because of the COVID restrictions on the factories in North Carolina where the windows for this house were built. Uh, yeah. So we're seeing that get back to normal in terms of that. So like I said, I'm speaking more during the restriction time. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't noticed anything else so much. Um, I, I will say this a little, um, as an aside, you know, I, I really am a free market guy. And so when prices skyrocket like this, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, We'll make accusations somebody's gouging they're trying to take advantage that sort of thing and i understand that and i'm not saying morally that that's okay or justified or anything but when you do have skyrocketing prices it does have a balance effect on availability of things right so in right. other words if things uh, were artificially deflated in other words if somebody had price caps and said oh well during this you know gasoline shortage we're going to restrict gas prices to Two dollars a gallon or whatever. Well, they, everybody's run out of gas, you know. So, right. so, yeah. so it's it's a it's a positive byproduct of something unfortunate. When you have got high prices, at least um, the supplies are able to keep it keep up with the, the demand.
1: Yeah, I, I think you make a great point. I'm a capitalist, Stephen. When you when you start talking about, and you're you're an honest capitalist and free market guy when you start talking about price controls, now that, that's real socialism there, right? That's really socialism. This is the free market we're dealing with here. And um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, folks that you wouldn't normally say, oh, we've, you know, got to, you know, hold a ceiling on this price. Then I'm like, hey, wait a second. I thought you were a free market guy. And so you just hit on that, Steve. Talk about the labor shortage, too. That's just a same thing, right? Uh,
0: if only there were a country nearby that had a virtually unlimited supply of labor. Imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I'm I'm serious. Uh, look, I to me, it touches on uh, the immigration issue. Um, I, I'm going to speak really, really real right now. Okay.
1: Um,
0: so we've known we've had a labor shortage for quite some time in this country and it's, it's being exacerbated, um, right now. Yep. Um, but it's been there for quite some time and I want to be clear to your listeners, I think it should be really hard to become a citizen in the United States. I think that should be difficult. That should be a hot, there should be a high barrier to entry to that. But having said that, it should be really easy to come here and work yeah and I don't care if you're from Canada or Mexico or Denmark or wherever. Um, it should be easy to come here and work. And yet, our immigration system is so broken, it's so inequated. and then you throw on top of that just how uh, politicized it's become, mm-hmm. and it's it's more broken than ever, and the backlog of people, you know that's why I always laugh almost it's It's sad the ignorance that's displayed when people say, oh, well, people should come here legally. Do you, they have no clue what's involved with coming here legally. I have a friend who uh, worked as an immigration attorney for a nonprofit for a few years, and this may be updated information. The last I checked to, like, come here, quote, unquote, legally, I think last I checked, it takes, like, between 8 and 12 years. Oh, yeah. Now, that's insane. Yeah. That is
1: absolutely insane. And thousands and, of dollars. And, and, mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I know, yeah, yeah, just an untold amount of money, and so probably tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. I'd have to check with him on that, but maybe mm-hmm. I should talk to you about it. I think he'd be a great guest for you. At any rate, um, so that, you know, we're seeing this labor shortage is one of those other symptoms of what is an immigration problem. So yeah, um, I-, I would like to. That would help everybody. And that's why you saw, like, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, lots of accusations by Republicans. Oh, they you know, they want open borders. No, they want people to be able to work so they can continue to grow their businesses. And yes. if it's not going to be uh, people here at home, then let's open it up to other people who will work uh, regardless of where they may be.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing, Steve, because we're on such the same page here. We are, our country, like many Western countries, we have a demographic cliff. We are falling off a demographic cliff right now as far as people go. That's why immigration is so important. When you add, you know, part of that is young families can't afford, young couples can't afford to have children. Uh, I think 2021 was the first time we've gone backwards in population. Obviously, some of that had to do with the COVID issue, but also uh, young people just aren't having babies like they used to. And so we have fewer people. And so when you combine that, the immigration is the only answer, I think is what I hear you're saying, for the future of this country. We have to allow people to come here and immigrate, not just as citizens, but as your point, just to work. Yeah. And one
0: other quick thing, you know, I think Sometimes people hear me say things like this and they're like, oh, you're a greedy contractor. You just want cheap Mexican labor. And I always joke. I was like, if you know of any cheap Mexican labor, would you please give them my number? Because there, there is no such thing. Uh, um, the Hispanic workers that I have the great fortune of being able to work with uh, and the great pleasure of being able to work with, because uh, the folks that I run across that are... Uh, Um, Hispanics are uh, fantastic family people, hard workers, uh, food lovers, you know, just awesome people, uh, and and no offense to the Democrats, but a a natural fit for the, what traditionally was the Republican party way, which is why I always kind of laugh that Republicans didn't, uh, aggressively pursue uh, Hispanic voters because I think they're a natural fit in so many ways. I agree uh, with you. conservative, you know. Yes. Um, but at any rate, um, they uh the Hispanic workers that I have the pleasure of being able to work with and partner with on projects uh they very well acutely understand the value that they bring to the table and uh there there may be some you know so-called cheap Hispanic labor out there but I I don't see it I really don't and um and that's great you know because again that's another example of how um this is a culture that uh embraces capitalism they understand the value of what they bring to the table and they charge accordingly and so uh so yeah i i think it's it's real simple it should be easy to come here to work but it should be really hard to become a
1: citizen yeah absolutely steve i couldn't agree more that there, there is um uh, you know the e-verify system you'll hear the politicians throw that around a lot but if it was a mandate and a lot of the big companies do it but if every business in america was required to e-verify that would be pretty much solve the illegal immigration problem or at least take a big step, but they just absolutely refuse to make every American business verify when they do something like that. So, um, you know, it's kind of um, really a double-edged sword. Steve, let me move on a little bit. We're talking about the supply of, of labor. We're talking about the supply of goods. Do you think the average Tennessean and American can wrap their mind around the interconnectivity of the global economy? And, you know, we can't make cars in Smyrna because we can't get computer chips from Taiwan. Do you think the average American actually understands that?
0: No. I mean, <laughs> I mean Stephen, uh, we have – the american military coming out and basically admitting we have ufos everywhere and nobody even seems to notice that isn't that crazy, <laughs> like That's we, crazy. we are living in really strange times i'm only 50 years old but yeah. i've never seen anything like this like that would have been i mean 10 years ago that would have been headline news for weeks and weeks and now it's just like oh it's like the fifth story of the day when yeah. you scroll through you know, the newspaper somewhere right. and it's just it's it's fascinating to me. So the idea that that people could even begin to understand and they don't want to understand it and on I think at some level and honestly, you know, I don't think we should expect people to understand it or to try and understand it because they're just trying to work and pay their bills and right. pay their taxes and, and yeah. maybe try and do a little better for themselves than, than what their parents did. And so um, so I i you know I wouldn't expect people to to try and learn
1: that stuff either. Yeah, I, I really don't think that folks actually understand where things come from, you know. And, and, and now I'm going to get a little political for you, and I certainly don't expect you to defend um, some of the crazy train that's going on out there. But for many years, it was conservatives, it was George Bush, number one, that really pushed globalization and Clinton that push globalization and opening up trade with China and a lot of other countries, India, uh, and all over the world. But now it's almost like a 180 um, for what used to constitute the Republican Party. I'm not sure what we can call them now. But they are against globalization, and they're against unions. I mean, the whole thing back in the 90s were, well, it cost too much to make goods here because of the unions, drive everyone overseas that was the argument and now it's we don't want it made overseas and we don't want unions involved here in the united states steve talk about that dynamic a little bit once again do you think folks just don't grasp or they don't remember or they don't care
0: um and first of all i want to distinguish uh i personally distinguish between republicans at the federal level and republicans at the local level yeah. there's obviously always going to be some overlap but so right. I'm speaking now more to federal level Republicans. Sure. Uh, I consider federal level Republicans to not be Republican anymore. They're trump yep. uh, the, the only litmus test to being in the Republican party at the federal level is uh, fealty to Donald Trump. It's not fealty to the constitution or free markets or smaller limited government and lower taxes and things that were always traditional sort of hallmarks of the Republican party. It, it is one and simple fealty to Donald Trump. And, yeah. um, I can't help. I, I, I got to admit, this sounds bad. I normally don't delight in the misfortunes of others, but I take delight in seeing a Republican party that sold its soul to be able to call this man their standard bearer and then watching them pay for the price for that is, is completely frozen the party for the like, presidential politics for 24 because he says he's going to run, but maybe he won't and all this other stuff. Nobody wants to jump in and make you mad and, and i find it laughable i'm like this is people getting their comeuppance if you will the the federal republican party anyway getting their comeuppance and so um but but back on topic uh the the uh, as far as trade and that sort of thing i think it's important to to bring up one other quick point, and that's something called just-in-time inventory. Oh, and man. a lot of your yeah. a lot of your listeners may not know about this. And so, for those that don't, it's basically the concept that um, uh, people like uh, like Dell Computers was one of the first to do it and do it really well at a high level. And that was this idea of, that if you got so efficient with your distribution system that you, would, you could make it to where you, retailers didn't have to have huge stocks of inventory anymore. Um, in fact, uh, you could eliminate retailers in a lot of it. That's kind of what Dell did. Dell just sold direct, you know? They eliminated mm-hmm. retailers entirely because they got so efficient with their um, delivery systems. And so we saw that catch on everywhere. And, and what I think the pandemic showed us, at least if we're willing to open our eyes and learn from it, is where the weaknesses in just-in-time inventory is at, and so when you have things like uh, one small thing, maybe a, a trucking line can't get as many trucks going that day because of some COVID restrictions or something. Well, then there's no toilet paper on the shelves. You see what I mean, and then you right. get behind the eight ball, and then there's a trickle-down effect. Oh, and so yeah. with that that has to be a part of the discussion too when we talk about trade and and availability and
1: things like that. Yes, it does, and, and you really speak in my language. You know, a lot of the just-in-time stuff was to, you know, uh, obviously to decrease cost, to enhance the shareholder's position, especially in a lot of the, b- the bigger companies. But the other part of that, Steve, is the tax on inventory. Inventories are taxed in this country. Now, you won't hear, you know, a, le- a guy center-left like me say, I don't think we should tax inventories. Goods should be taxed when they're sold or to another business or to a consumer. And so you have a lot of companies that don't want to keep inventory on hand, but but the extra space is part of it. But really, it's about the taxes that they pay on those goods produced at the end of the year. So here you have, uh, you know, I I believe that they shouldn't be taxed. You know, we can have, and back to your point, we can have warehouses full of toilet paper in Missouri to, to, to go all over the country. But if we don't have the trucks to get them there, um, you know, we, we're in problem. But I'm glad you touched on that, and you're exactly right. That has to be uh, part of the discussion of the new economy going forward. And, Steve, do you think I, – I believe because of the rest of the world is d- going to continue to deal with this, they don't have the vaccine, we're still reliant on raw materials and finished goods from other parts of the world to, in order to do jobs here – Steve, I, I don't think this is going to end for a while. I really don't. I think we're in this for at least a couple more years, maybe even longer until this virus burns out. What do you think about that?
0: So I'm always the optimist, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes to a fault. But just to let you know personally, and I don't mean like prepper stuff, but um, my wife and I have made a very conscious choice over the past few years. We, we wanted to get into farming mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of different reasons, but primary among them we wanted to be able to homestead and we wanted to be able to um, provide for ourselves as much as possible, and um, we feel like we're a couple of years behind where we need, where we'd like to be. Because I'm genuinely concerned about what you just said that a lot of this stuff's not going to go away in, right. anytime soon. And you know, I feel like, you know, I know we keep talking about the toilet paper shortage, but I feel like that was just sort of a great. Um, example that we can all remember yeah. is how quickly something like that can happen yeah. and then and then you're really in a bind you know uh, it, mm. i mean that was just toilet paper imagine if it was you know bread or or certain medicine antibiotics something, something right like yeah yeah right. So you could you could uh, it's not conspiracy or crazy thinking to to want to be prepared uh for something like that to happen and so we put we put that conscious thought into everything we do with um, with our acreage that we've we've been able to well we're about to move on to um, it's it's downsizing economically for us but um, it's allowing us to produce our own uh, food uh, where we've got water dependent uh, water independence as I call it because we're not we don't even have city water right uh, so you know we have a well and a, a spring on our property and so. Um, and so, I, I think that should tell you that, that I don't have a lot of um, faith in spite of my optimism that uh, things will get better. In fact, I'm, I'm really concerned they could get worse. And, and to touch on another subject that's very much related is, uh, you, you brought it up earlier, the Fed. A lot of people know this, and, and I'm not blaming this on Trump, by the way, what I'm about to say, but during the last year of his administration, the Fed produ- uh, created... 28% of all the currency that's in circulation. That's right on the Federal Reserve website. Right. So if you can imagine, 28% of all the currency in circulation was created in the final year of the Trump administration. You you can't do that. Right. Like, it, I, I understand what they're saying about inflation, and, and, and that's a whole topic for a whole other show about the latest theories on inflation, that if everybody just believe inflation is not happening, then it's not happening. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's right. a scary thought. But, right. but uh, and that is, that's a legit economic theory now. And so because of 2008, to touch back on something there. But but um, but the, the idea that you can do that and there's not serious consequences. And my fear is this, when we had that happen in the 30s, when we had a currency collapse, that was sort of a slow burn if you will, right? Because Mm -hmm. there was just newspapers and stuff like that. But now we have social media. Everybody carries the world around in their pocket on a phone. And you saw how quickly things got chaotic with just some toilet paper shortages and hand sanitizers. Imagine if it's something more serious and how quickly you could go... I would say you could go from zero to Venezuela in about two weeks because of social media. Yeah, and that, I think you're that, right. That's a real concern for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's a national security issue, um, really. Honestly, it really is. So, But you make some really, really valid points, Steve, and I agree with you on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You mentioned the crazy train, Is and, and I, it, we've been talking a lot of business here, but I, I don't know, and I certainly don't expect you to defend this. Did you see Senator Blackburn's comments about Fauci yesterday? Have you seen that? I did not.
0: I saw Louie Gomer telling the forestry department lady she should try and figure out how to change the earth when the moon's orbit oh yeah change.
1: yeah change the orbit it change? <laughs> is that not insane no i'm not joking he no he did NASA say that says, yeah
0: yeah uh, a video conference for your listeners that don't know right uh, represented louis gobert out of texas a uh, republican was having a video conference call with a woman from the united states forestry department mm-hmm. and he was taught he said how nasa had done a study. I watched this this morning finally, instead of just reading people's commentary about it. He said NASA has done some studies and figured out that the orbits of the moon and the Earth have changed and that that's impacting uh, climate change. And he literally said to this woman, hey, I'd like to see the Forestry Service be doing something about possibly changing the Earth's orbit or changing the moon's orbit. Uh, so that we're not impacted so harshly by climate change. And then he stopped talking, and there was this really uncomfortable, like, eight-second pause, and the poor forestry lady goes, um, okay, Mr. Gomer, or Representative Gomer, um, I will be looking into that. That's going to be a heavy <laughs> oh, lift.
1: Oh, so bad for <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, and, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of the – But what did Martian say?
0: I'm sorry. Uh, well, well,
1: Martian, uh, Martian is, it's quite embarrassing, actually. But basically, she implied that Dr. Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg and some of the other elites of the world have planned all of this and cherry-picked it information to fit the narrative. You can pick out these words. They use words like narrative and do your research. You know this, Steve. And when I see those words now, I automatically think conspiracy theorist. And back to your point, we've got the U.S. government admitting UFOs exist, but It's just insane. Anyway, I want to see a Saturday Night Live skit of, you know, they're all at George Soros' house, and they're plotting out (laughs) there. I think that would be fantastic. But, yeah, you should look it up uh, on Marsha. I had it here just a second ago. But it was just such babble and nonsense. It was just – it's it's just, quite frankly, it's embarrassing. And the reason why she's doing this, Stephen, this is really my last thing because I know we're running short on time. But the reason why Marsha Blackburn is doing this is because she lost a lot of favor with the uh, Trump publicans, that you call them, uh, when she uh, certified the election back on January the 6th. So my question to you – and so she's trying to gain favor back with those people with all this craziness about Dr. Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg, and it's just insanity – Steve, what what would Abraham Lincoln have done to the insurrectionist on January the sixth?
0: Oh gosh, (laughs) I shudder to think. I mean, um, well, I mean, we saw he he was uh, man. That's a whole. You got to be careful there. Let me start on Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. uh, You know, like most kids, I was raised thinking you know, honest Abe and all this other good stuff. But let's be real. He declared martial law. I mean, he did. he, He just said that aside the constitution for a few days or months or whatever it was and suspended and, uh, habeas
1: corpus I, I, right mm-hmm. yeah
0: there's, there's a lot of things that could be criticized there so but to your point uh you know he didn't play and so right. uh, you know i, I i'm a, i'm unique when it comes to you know i, I was raised in the midwest but i consider myself a southerner my roots are southern and so i would i have this weird thing about um i, I do call it the I jokingly call it the War of Northern Aggression—the Civil right. War. Right. Um, I'm a person that um, I probably would have fought for the South, but at the same time, in in some weird way, I'm glad the North won. It kept us together as a country. So it's a very complicated issue for me, just the Civil War in general. But man, I think he would have came down hard, and 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 I think we do have to distinguish some of it. I think it's a core group that clearly went there to do mischief and did a lot of mischief, but I think a lot of people got swept up in it. And right. I think it's important that, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in you take each person one-on-one and what they're uh-huh. all about, and, and I hope we do that when we talk about uh, the folks that, that uh, were on were at the Capitol that day, that we distinguish between somebody got swept up in the excitement and just was sort of wandering around, you know, and... Right and uh, and and maybe took a souvenir or something, uh, and the other folks that maybe went armed or had been planning things, or possibly—and I still think this is going to come out—that probably got some help from uh, from some Congress people. uh, That's really scary. Where to go and what to do and when to be there.
1: Yeah, that's a really scary thought to to know that we have elected officials that might be actively participating in a coup in this country, and that's exactly what it is. We, you and I both, and Steve, you, you said it uh, uh, very nicely, and, I, and, and I'm and i just going to say it. I think we're showing a lot of these folks mercy. Uh, they're lucky that they're, um, that, that you know, Abraham Lincoln's not the president, because they would probably have a short rope and a tall tree uh, would be the most likely outcome. Steve, one final question for you. We've gone 30 minutes here. 70 um, percent of the Republican Party um, don't believe the election was valid based on anything. In addition to that, 70% of Tennesseans are not vaccinated. Do you see a correlation, uh, a correlation between these two?
0: Well, actually, what's kind of funny is um, that, uh, you know, Trump himself was pushing people pretty hard to get vaccinated, which I always thought was a- – a, an unusual irony because so many of his um, most strident supporters wanted nothing to do with it. At least that's what they said publicly. Um, I don't know if there's a relationship or not. There's obviously a—I a, always forget, you know, when you're talking in scientific, scientific terms, there's no causal uh, relationship that's been demonstrated yet. But I, I, right. honestly say I wouldn't be surprised by it. Uh, right. but, um, you know, that's, that's tough. Uh, you know, I myself, I got COVID a few months ago, but I haven't been vaccinated yet. Uh, I will tell you my personal motivation. I don't know if I'll get it or not. I never get the flu vaccine. I think I got it one time. So I feel like I'm sort of being true to form, but I'm not like, it's not some ideological thing for me. Originally, it's just like, we'll let the old people and the people that are most uh, vulnerable get the vaccine first, and then I'll be one of the tail end people if I go and get it. But mm-hmm. a lot of it for me is I just get real busy and haven't done it. And I would joke that I was social distancing before it was cool. You know, I, right, just in right. my line of work, I'm able to not be physically close to people pretty much throughout the day. So sure. I'm not saying that's the most responsible thing to do. I'm just saying I think there's a lot of reasons people don't get the vaccine. And I think for some people like me, there's just kind of no reason at all. They just haven't got around to it yet
1: yeah I, I think that's part of it and, and but you know i i'm very anyway i i love to be i'm I, first when all of we started breaking loose i was very optimistic and now i'm starting you know and i start thinking about what's going to this virus what kind of frankenstein's going to come out of this virus after it runs through a billion people in india you know and remembering that the rest of the world don't have access to the vaccines that we have um so anyway it it's kind of scary but I, but I'm like, you Steve, I want to be optimistic about the future. I think there are a lot of good things that are going to come out of this. Steve, what would you like to leave our listeners with the man in the middle podcast? Uh,
0: you know, and i don't I don't mean this in a prepper sense, but I just mean it in the sense of uh, I think people do need to uh, try and take the time to understand uh, that um, just how quickly things can Can go get away from unravel, Mm -hmm. yeah, and to start um, be more conscious in how they buy things and what they have in their house. You know, if there is a short term thing, I mean, we always bought in bulk anyway. So, in fact, (laughs) that was one of the frustrations of the toilet paper shortage: is it just sort of timed out when you know normally we buy toilet paper from Sam's Club and. You know, we only buy it, like, a couple, three times a year, and that really messed us up.
1: (laughs) Right, (laughs) right.
0: I was kind of mad. I was like, why are you buying in bulk? You know, suddenly. uh, So, you know, just be thinking about that and and be more conscious of what they have set back, things that maybe don't uh, perish as quickly, and so that they don't feel a lot of pressure when when people start acting
1: a little bit crazy. Yeah, conscious consumerism. I love it, Steve. Steve Lane. Uh, I like that phrase. Yeah. Steve Lane, our guest today on the Man in the Middle podcast. Steve, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to talking to you again, friend.
0: Love it. I appreciate you having me
1: on. Okay. Have a good one. I'm Stephen Reynolds, the Man in the Middle. I'll see you next week.